Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm talking to Jasmine Darznick. Jasmine is the New York Times bestselling author of The Bohemians, a novel that imagines the friendship between photographer Dorothea Lang and her Chinese-American assistant in 1920s San Francisco. Her debut novel, Song of a Captive Bird, was a New York Times Book Review Editor's Choice book and a Los Angeles Times bestseller. She's also the author of The Good Daughter, a memoir of my mother's hidden life. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, and Los Angeles Times. I had the best time talking with Jasmine about writing historical fiction, the creative life, and why Tipping the Velvet by Sarah Waters is the best book ever. Hi, Jasmine. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Oh, hello. It's nice to be here. Before we start talking about your reading life, I really want to ask you about your writing life. My listeners will see the connection as we get through to the book, but I can't help but notice a parallel between what you read and what you write. Will you tell my guests uh, particularly about your most recent book, The Bohemians? Sure. So I have written three books. The first one was a family memoir and the two novels I've written have been historical novels. You could call them historical novels. So they're set in fascinating times and they have fabulous female characters. I'm really drawn to women's stories. I'm also really interested in the kind of fiction that uncovers and recovers lost stories. So Mm. when you're telling stories about women, there's so much that hasn't been told in the history books, in official accounts. And I think as a novelist, I have this terrific opportunity to bring those stories to life through fiction. And so what is, for example, The Bohemians, I can see a beautiful poster (laughs) of it behind you. uh, Tell us what that one's about. Sure. So The Bohemians is a novel about a young Dorothea Lange. You might not know her by name, but she is probably our great photographer of the 20th century. Her most famous work is a photograph called Migrant Mother, which I bet you've seen, even if you don't know her by name. It's probably the most reproduced picture in all history. She's known for her Depression era photography. She took really really scorching images of um, the human uh, chaos and crisis during the depression. Um, And the Bohemians tells her story, her origin story. So before she became that woman who took these historic photographs, she was just a young woman who had made her way from New Jersey over to San Francisco, lost all of her money upon arrival. She was robbed of all of it. And she managed within about a year and a half of arriving and being robbed to uh, becoming the most sought after photographer in San Francisco, portrait photographer. So when I read that in her biography, I was just fascinated. It was maybe, it was a short section of her biography, but I thought, oh my gosh, there's so much there. How did she do it is, is the thing I really wondered. And the way that it evolved is that I became really interested in this mention of her Chinese American assistant. So Dorothea Lang, when she comes to San Francisco, her first portrait studio, she is working side by side with a Chinese American woman, which would have been pretty, it would have been pretty unusual for those times um, for her to have made that choice. And the novel has a lot to do with their friendship, 
with the circle of bohemians. It's called Bohemians. It's got bohemians in it. Um, San Francisco in the 1920s was a fascinating place populated by so many crazy, colorful characters. Sort of the left bank of San Francisco is where Mm. the novel takes place. Um, So it's just this sort of, you know, this love letter to San Francisco and the origin story of this phenomenal woman artist. Had you... I mean, you must have already been interested in Dorothea Lange. You were reading a biography about her when you came across this story. Is this someone who has influenced you through your life? You know, I had read the biography when it came out. And the biography I'm talking about is Linda Gordon's biography that came out probably in 2011 or so. But the spark really was finding out about this place called Montgomery Block, Monkey Block, that was an artist colony. So if you know San Francisco, one of the icons um, is the Transamerica Pyramid. Yeah. Before the Transamerica Pyramid was there, there was an enormous four-story building, you know, a huge, huge um, building that had survived the earthquake. And it had housed about 800 artists and writers and painters and journalists. Mark Twain lived there. Frida Kahlo lived there. Diego Rivera. Um, it was just this really, this hive of artistic activity. And Lang had lived there, but once I found out about this building. I just, I went sleuthing and I wanted to know more and more. And her first husband, who was a quite successful painter when they met, did have a studio in Montgomery Block. And through him, she would have known this whole world of the Bohemians um, through Maynard Dixon. So that's the spark really is, is finding out about Monkey Block and then through it, um, gaining a kind of fascination, deeper and deeper fascination with the artists who made their home there. How does all of your reading about these artistic lives of uh, primarily women, I've noticed in your in your book reviews, how does that influence your artistic life? Well, long before I was a writer, I was a reader, of course, as many writers are. Um, but I've always had a fascination with artists' lives and women in women's lives overall, but also just so interested in women's stories of becoming artists because that's a, that's been a pretty, um, it's been a pretty hard path for women in until, I mean, you could even say it's still a really hard path to, to really stake that claim in your life and call yourself an artist and do that work has been really difficult for women. I started out reading probably still my favorite, favorite kind of book is to read literary biographies or artistic biographies. I love biographies, but I do have this feeling often when I'm reading biographies is, oh, there, there must, there, there feels like there's something missing, or I think that there's more there. And biographies are bound to all kinds of rules, right? They can't just mm-hmm. make things up or speculate, you know, no reputable biographer is going to do that. But I love biographies and I have almost read them like self-help in my own life. Um, I've always, I've always, you know, I feel like I've gained probably the great insights of my life by reading biographies of women. They've offered me roadmaps in my own family. I was surrounded by really strong women, but my mother was educated up till the eighth grade. My grandmother who raised me was totally illiterate. Um, You know, they didn't, they, they just did not have those kind of opportunities. So in, as I've, as a young woman, and then, you know, in my middle age now, it's been so helpful to me to go to biography, to go to history and look at, look at other women. And they're almost I almost think of them as my foremothers too. Um, And they've offered me many life lessons. 
How did you get there to this reading life? If you weren't, it sounds like you weren't really raised in a reading household. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how, what drew you to all these books? Sure. Uh, So I came to America when I was five. My family immigrated from Iran in 1978 when there was a revolution. Mm -hmm. And I was a very shy and awkward child. (laughs) Maybe I would have been there. Maybe I would have been like that if I'd stayed in Iran. But for sure, immigrating and growing up in an immigrant family in the 80s and 90s definitely exacerbated that or accentuated that in me. And reading was my refuge. It was the place I went um, for for refuge, but also for joy, pleasure, instruction, all of those things. I was also really lucky that I had terrific teachers um, who took me aside. I'm still in contact with one of them. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, he he, when I was in sixth grade, he pulled me aside and said, "You know, you're a writer," <laughs> and. Um, you know, it took me many years to make good on that. But when I see him now, I always, I always just, I feel such warmth and love for that recognition. You know, it was a small thing, but it was the biggest thing for Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. So that those, those, those things, um, loving books and, and finding refuge in them. And then having had teachers who encouraged my reading and also who saw something in me, some saw some potential. I mean, I'm so, I'm so glad that I found that. I don't, I can't even imagine my life without that refuge. And even, even to this day, you know, you can kind of drop me off in any city. And as long as I can find my way either to a bookstore or a library, I'm <laughs> going to be okay. And then in becoming a writer also, it's also the world of writers and readers has been such a refuge to me. Um, I think I really have only felt I've only started to feel happy in my life since I started um, entering these communities of readers and writers. Mm -hmm. So I started writing when I was in my thirties. I took a workshop in a local, in my local bookstore, my beloved bookstore. And, um, you know, I really, I think that in so many ways, so of course it was the beginning of my writing life. I hadn't taken any writing courses before that, or really, you know, even thought of pursuing writing as a profession, but um, being amongst writers, Mary Carr has this wonderful, I don't know if you know Mary Carr, the author of mm-hmm. um, so many wonderful memoirs, but she has this great quip. Um, she says, you know, the, the prize is the company when oh. you're writing, you know, and I think, wow, for me, that's been so true is I've met my best friends through writing and also, also through reading. It's, it's been my home. My friends, I wish we could sit across from each other at a coffee shop and chat about books all day long. But since we can't do that anytime soon, let's be social media pals. Follow me over on Instagram at Best Book Ever Podcast, and you'll see lovely pictures of my weekly guests, read more about the books we discuss, see occasional photos of my reading life, and bookish news from friends of the show. You might even catch a glimpse of our official mascot, Benny, the meanest bunny on the planet. I really loathe most social media, but I love the Instagram book community. So come on over and say hi at Best Book Ever Podcast. I look forward to chatting with you there and seeing what books you are sharing. Now, back to the show. Let's talk about this book that um, 
is our subject today, Tipping the Velvet by Sarah Waters. Do you remember how you first came across this book? So same beloved bookshop that I- What is it, by the way? Let's give them a shout out. It's Book Book Passage. Passage. Big shout out to Book Passage in Northern California. They've got um, they've got another story. They've got a store in the Ferry Building. My local one is in Corden, Madeira. And I went there when I was a teenager. And I also worked there as a bookseller. And I first mm-hmm. encountered Sarah Waters. She would have been on tour for, I think it was Tipping the Velvet. It was either Tipping the Velvet or Fingersmith. So this is this is a good amount of this is a good number of years ago. Okay. Maybe 20. 15, maybe 15 years ago. And mm-hmm. I was working in the store. I didn't, I wasn't there um, that on that particular day. I wasn't there. And I might not have even gone to the reading because, well, as I, as I talk more about the book, this, this might make sense, but um, the book has to do with these two girls who fall in love and run away <laughs> together. It's in the 19th century, 19th century England. Sarah Waters is a um, English, not British novelist. And um, they run away together and become performers. And then over time, they they part ways, but there are more adventures for our main characters. So it's a love story between two women. And I think... I think I might have thought that story is not for me, right? I mean, I'm interested and, you know, I I have curiosity about um, same-sex relationships and partnerships, but I think in a a lot of cases in maybe in America, especially like things get put into boxes. So I might've thought of that as, oh, that's gay literature. Like that's not for me, right? But listening to her, and it would have been, I think the, there would have been a speaker piping through <laughs> as she was reading from the book, um, as I was working in the store and she was, she was reading from the novel and answering questions. It was almost, you know, without even trying to, I was participating, I was listening to her, and I became so entranced with the story. Her, her person, she is a person, is, um, was very captivating. I found her a very powerful person of our very powerful presence. And, um, and so I read the book, I read a book that I probably wouldn't have reached for on my own. And I wound up loving it, loving it so much, so much so that to this day, I'm actually looking at right now, there's a shelf on my bookshelf that's devoted to my top five. This is a very select group of books and it's there. It's one of the books that is on my bookshelf and I can tell you more about why it's there. Um, But that's how I came to know of Sarah Waters and her and her work. So will you give my listeners a really brief summary of what uh, Tipping the Velvet is about? Sure. So I described it as a love story. That's what I think it is mostly. Mm. Um, It's a coming of age story. So it's set in um, England in 1880s, 1890s or so. The young, um, the protagonist is a woman named uh, Nan. It's been a while since I read it, but but, um, it is uh, the story then of how she befriends a performer. They run away together and become, they're sort of like... um, it's a kind of vaudeville performance. So they enter this really intoxicating world. The The one um, Nan's girlfriend winds up betraying her, but 
Nan decides that she herself will become a performer. So it's a story about love, but it's also a story about becoming, um, becoming yourself. Okay. So tell me what you like so much about it. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so hang on. I feel like I need to settle in here. <laughs> How much time do we have? So I, I love a lot of things about it. One, one thing, the thing I would say that I love most about it is the detail is exquisite. Mm. Mm. So before Sarah Waters became a novelist, she trained in as a historian. She has a PhD in history in 19th century English history. And her eye for detail is exquisite. I also have a background as an academic. And I think part of what I love about it is that here's somebody who's clearly, she knows how to research. She knows how to steep herself in the period, but she also has a real way of, she's a storyteller. She's a storyteller. So to me, that's a beautiful combination. Somebody who's got a real facility for deep research, those deep dives that historical fiction, I think really, really blossoms with that kind of, um, with those kind of details, but she's also a terrific storyteller. So it doesn't feel heavy. It doesn't feel like you're reading a history book. Um, the, the level of the detail is so exquisite. It's in the physical objects that she's picking out, the costuming, the language itself. Um, yeah. So many wonderfully, um, you know, I guess there, there, there would be words that have fallen out of, you know, the, the language, but she recovers that the language and the idiom of those days of that vaudeville world. Um, so the detail to me is really, really, really captivating. It's exactly what you were saying earlier about there's more to the story because, um, um, I mean, we haven't even talked about the, the gender levels in this because they are performing as men right on stage. And like you said there, if you read that in a history book or I don't know, a Wikipedia page, <laughs> you know, in Victorian England, women would dress in men's clothes and perform in these vaudeville. And you'd probably think, Oh, okay, well that's interesting. And it's just like you said, there is so much more to this yeah. than, and that's, this book just feels just like packed in all the stuffing yeah. of that story. Yeah. 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 I mean, that performance of gender is something that, you know, you hear even that phrase of gender is a, a kind of performance, you know, but here it's literal. it's actually a performance. Um, these two women are dressing in, um, I mean, you might call it drag, I suppose. Um but it's um, it's also subversive. Mm -hmm. It's a way that they, well, they make their livelihoods by by doing this. Um, they also get the pleasure of performance, right? They're um, there. It's a kind of rebellion as well. For Nan, for sure, it is. She's never seen anything like this before. She meets um, is it Kitty? I think is her her great love, um, and. Uh, and the ways that Sarah Waters, I think I started out saying how much I love the novel, the kind of novel that recovers history. Well, here's a story. You're not going to find it in a history book. Or if you do, it's it's going to be very, very brief and you know shot through with all kinds of holes. 
but she puts these two women front and center. Actually, they're on the stage of the novel, right? And they are heroines. They're both heroines. Um, and they are before you, you're seeing these lives enacted that probably have been invisible to you, right? They've been invisible to us in, in the history books. And we don't think much about what it would have meant to love a woman. What would, what would that have looked like? And it's not a fantasy either. I mean, it's a love story, but there's a lot of complexity in how she depicts this relationship. Yeah. Um, so without, you know, without being didactic about it, she's teaching you so much about what love would have looked like for these two outsiders at this time in history. Now, as I was reading to talk to you, I I read a line. It was a very casual line in a, in a review of this book is there's no evidence of lesbians in uh, Victorian England. And I laughed out loud. <laughs> Really? Did we just invent them in 1960? That's incredible. <laughs> and so it was the funniest thing to me. And I feel like Sarah Waters is masterful at at saying, guess what? Yeah, we've always been here. <laughs> Where I think I, I have also read um, The Pain Guests and Fingersmith by her. Mm-hmm. And what I think she is so good at is... You genuinely forget that it's historical fiction that mm-hmm. she is writing because you, I feel dropped in mm-hmm. to her books. They feel very modern to me, not in the sense of technology, but in the sense of you can almost smell yes. the, the grease paint of the stage. The word I would use for it is an immersive experience. Immersive. I feel, Perfect. I want to feel like I'm in that world. And I think, you know, since I now try to do this myself. I think exactly what you're saying, those kinds of sensory details have so much to do with it um, that you feel not that you're a spectator, but that you're a participant. You're, you're, there's, there's no veil between you, that world and yours. You're there. Yeah. Now tell me what you thought about um, Kitty, the main character, because again, as I was reading all these reviews (laughs) and getting ready for this, there's some mixed feelings about who she is as a character. She's self-loathing, mm-hmm. you know, when she runs off and betrays Nan. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, that hurt mm-hmm. my feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I felt very sympathetic toward her. Of course mm-hmm. she did. This is a terrible life for her if she is not completely confident. Right. You right. have to have a backbone of steel. Yeah, yeah. So the betrayal, and I... I guess it is spoiling it a little if you haven't read the novel, but is that she winds up, she breaks up with Nan and she, she marries a man. Um, So she chooses convention over love, Mm -hmm. which is devastating. But I think, you know what, I feel like you were sympathetic. I was too. I I can, I could absolutely understand how that would have been not just, necessary but it might have felt like life or death to her it might have felt like that yeah sure but I I think the novel for me then when that happens it's it's a disappointment for sure but so much else happens in the novel (laughs) you know and I think we also all you know you think about your first love and the way it just sears you right but then the next day must come and the next love must come. And, you know, and so she has lots of adventures. She falls in with this, um, 
sort of upper class <laughs> lady who gives her entree to a very different world. Um, and, uh, and that episode, those episodes are just so delightful and pretty racy also as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and then more and more, it's just, it's also your, your, it's, it's her evolution that you're watching for. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that too, because I think, so without getting maybe too academic about this, but in the 19th century and still the love plot is the dominant plot for novels, right? It's like the, it's like the plot of our lives supposedly as women is that we fall in love happily ever after, you know, and that's the end. Mm. Um, and that it's not in this book. Um, it's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. And that's something I really, really appreciate about the story itself and Sarah Waters's vision I think it it feels like it's higher stakes than just this one story I think she's really thinking about the complexity of women's lives and the ways that romance and love and you know that all of that is important but it these are not the only things that happen to women Mm -hmm. and the clothes and that's why I was so fascinated by her putting on this the men's clothes (laughs) yes and how sometimes it made her safer yeah. And sometimes it really did not. Sometimes it yeah. was extremely dangerous for her yeah. to be a woman assuming that role. And yeah, that's where the real, there are several moments in this book where you close it and you go, God, yeah, this, she's saying so much just by having this character put on a pair of pants. Pants. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I mean, I'm thinking, so when I was writing Bohemians and thinking about Dorothea Lange and San Francisco in the night in 1918, 20 is she was a pretty gutsy woman, but even in a place like San Francisco, which is full of all kinds of, you know, rebellious characters, you didn't walk around as a woman. I mean, you didn't walk around at night for sure alone. Um, that would have been not just transgressive, but perilous. It would have been pretty dangerous. So when I was writing Dorothea Lange is there's actually a scene, I probably in some ways, you know, though it had been many years from my reading of Sarah Waters is tipping the velvet, but there's a scene in Bohemians where she goes and she buys herself a fedora, Dorothea Lange buys herself a fedora and she wears she wears it with a trench coat. And that's how she's able to walk through the city when she wants to, how she wants to, without company if she wants no company right um because as of as, as just a as a practical matter it would have been very very difficult for a woman to inhabit the space as she mm-hmm. wanted to at that time i think as women we know i don't know that there's there's ever a time when you're not aware of your body right about yes how it's either desirable or not, or it's making it, you know, it endangers you in many, many instances in your life, moments in your life. Um, In Bohemians, Dorothea Lange's friend is uh, Chinese. So the assistant I'm talking about, and there's another level of complexity, right? Or complication is Mm -hmm. to be a woman of color making your way through the city. I couldn't ever write a scene without some awareness of what, what would people be seeing as they saw her? She would have been hyper aware of the gaze of others, even just walking across the street. You know, um, it would not have been simple for this woman to walk across the street. So, um, so absolutely. I mean, these kinds of the, the attention to bodies and clothing and gesture and 
performative performance um, is really fascinating in um, in water in Waters's work. Is there a historical era that you want to explore next, either as a reader or as a writer? Sure. So I'm pretty happy in the Art Deco period, so 1920s, 30s, and the world pretty much for me ends. <laughs> about 1940 for sure I don't I mean I think there there are really interesting things to explore in the 50s but part of why I'm so interested in the 20s is it's such a um you know women are at such a crossroads so there are all these opportunities but there are a lot of prohibitions still on women's lives in the 1920s so it's the jazz age um it's it's that glitz and it's that glamour but for a lot of reasons, um, women are just, you know, it's, it's, it's the beginning. Um, and it's not a complete, um, you know, it it is just a beginning. And then in the thirties, a lot of that gets yanked back when in in America, when we experienced the depression. So a lot of the freedom that women felt in the twenties, um, is, is endangered by the realities of life under the depression. So, these kinds of, it's just a really interesting mix of um, possibility and prohibition. Um, I'm really interested in that. I love the clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. I really, I'm a seamstress's granddaughter. My mother, my grandmother was the seamstress and, and I, I've always just loved, I love these kinds of um, these ways into a time and a character. So clothing is so telling. It's so rich there's a lot you can uh, you can show through a character's clothing. In Bohemians, Caroline uh, Dorothea Lang's assistant is a seamstress, also. So, so that's that's part of it. Is I love I love the sort of the material culture of that period of time too. Where did you were there museums that you visited when you were researching for the Bohemians? Uh, so there, there are several different kinds of museums. One, one was um, the Oakland Museum of California, which holds Lang's archive. That's oh, wow. um, that, that was a terrific resource for me. All of her work is housed at that museum in the Bay Area. Then there was also the San Francisco. This is not a, a museum per se, but the San Francisco public library has a floor dedicated to um, San Francisco history. And there are a lot of photographs, extraordinary collection, um, archival materials, photography, so, so much. It was, it was a real, um, it, it was a truly marvelous source for me. Every book I've, I've written three books. I'm working on a fourth right now, but every time I start to write a new book, I read tipping the velvet because to me still, still it's the book that I tell my students, I teach creative writing and I tell them, imagine for yourselves, what is the company that your book keeps? What are the three, four or five books on which you, you dream that your book will be beside those books in the bookstore. Right. Um, And for me, Sarah Waters is, is still tipping the velvet is still one of those books. I read it and I, I'm reminded of why I want to do, why I write really, the level at which I aspire to write, um, the kind of conversations I want to be having with readers and all and writers. All of that comes through that this ritual now of uh, rereading her work at the beginning of every new project. Can I ask you what you're working on right now? Do you do you share that as an author or is that something you yeah. keep close? 
No, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have any problem sharing it. It's just that I haven't figured it all out yet, but the novel I'm writing right now is set in Hollywood in the thirties and forties. So for a lot of the same reasons, so interesting to think about women's lives at this period of time. Um, Hollywood itself. I've never been, I, when I started Bohemians, I really didn't know anything about photography. I learned a lot. And that's one of the great things about writing is you get to live these other lives. Um, So I, by no means am I a photographer or an expert in photography, but Bohemians gave me this whole other portal. Um, I lived for a time as a photographer through Dorothea Lang. And I I don't have some kind of crazy fascination about Hollywood, but the more I think about it, the more I think that it is a really interesting portal to a lot of these same conversations. So gender, performance, of course, um, you know, a very male dominated industry where women nonetheless did have some degree of power. There was some possibility for self-invention, um, such an interesting way of looking at America through our films, mm-hmm. through the film culture. So that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got a lot still to go, but um, it's becoming, I, I like in writing a novel to, it's almost like moving to another planet for a couple of years, you know, <laughs> you're, you're yes. more in that world than you are in your own. And it's begun to have that kind of hold on me. You know, again, it, it's something where I, it really ignites my imagination. And then I, I start to think, well, you know, well, Hey, what was that about really? Or, you know, um, so that's, that's a lot of how I work as I look backward, I become really interested in a period or a place, a historical period or, or a place geographically. And I just kind of, I let my curiosity work as a kind of compass. So when I was writing about Lang, it was, she had this Chinese American assistant. Wait, hang on a second. That's really interesting. That would have been a a really, um, that would have been a really fascinating meeting of worlds right there in these two women coming together. And this is also, this is, this is similar is that I'm looking for these moments where I'm thinking, Hey, hold on a second. I think there's more here and I want to tell it in my particular way. Can you tell us what you're reading these days? Sure. So I read, I read and I loved um, the plot. Do you know that novel? The plot by, no. uh, I think her last name, gosh, I have to look it up. Um, it is a book about a writer <laughs> who steals a plot from somebody else. Ooh. It's, um, it is, it's, I think it is, but is especially interesting for writers. It's a, just a, just a, <laughs> a hilarious and also brutal send up of the writing life and the writing profession. So I took a lot of pleasure <laughs> in reading that. Um, but also it's, it's a terrific page turner. It's a little bit like, um, it's a, it's a bit of a spoof on the talented Mr. Ripley, if you know. Love. Yeah. So she she does a little bit of a Patricia Highsmith thing there. Love that book. It was one of the ones, it was a book that I could not put down, but I also didn't want it to end. And then I also read recently Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. How was it? Is phenomenal. It's it's a very 
meaty book. It's about six or 700 pages, which I, I don't think I'll ever write a novel of that length, but it gives you that pleasure of just sinking in and you're, you know, you're, it's with you for weeks and you're thinking about it. And it feels almost like it does. It feels like you're accompanying her through a journey, the character. Um, and I think it's also beautifully written. So I recommend it highly if you haven't read Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. Jasmine, will you tell my listeners where they can find you and your work? Sure. So you can find me at jasminedarsnick.com. And I've got a lot on my website about um, on the Bohemians page. I love, I truly love research and I love sharing my research. So I put a lot of historical photographs up there, backstories. I have an art museum on my website <laughs> of Dorothea Lange's photographs. Um, so you can for sure go there. And then I'm probably most active on Instagram, but I'm also on Facebook. Okay. This has been so wonderful talking to you. I want to thank you for joining me today. And uh, you have a standing invitation to come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Thank you so much. Book people are the best people. Book it's people. the company. Mary Carr said it. <laughs> you are so right. And she's so right. Thank you, Jasmine. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. If you'd like to hear more from this week's guest, become a patron of the Best Book Ever podcast. For about the cost of a latte, you'll get exclusive interview clips, monthly book roundups, and curated reading lists. Go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash best book ever to learn more. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.